3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written, because the time is near. Today our scripture reading is Revelation 22, 6 through 21. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, I'm the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and of the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Good morning, and an early Merry Christmas to you. Of course, Christmas Day is coming up next Sunday, and the weeks leading up to Christmas Day in the church calendar are called Advent, and Advent, as you may know, means arrival. So we've been in a season these past several weeks of thinking about the arrival of the Lord Jesus. And during Advent and Christmas, we, of course, focus on the first arrival of the Son of God. And we marvel at the fact that God became man. 
We're joyful in this season because in great love, God sent his son to take on flesh, to become a man so that he could die for the sins of mankind and so that we could have peace with God. But what's been remarkable about this year at New Covenant is that our series in the book of Revelation has led right up to Christmas through the Advent season. And so we've been able to focus not just on the first coming of the Lord, but also to reflect on his second arrival. You see, God became man in Jesus, not only to die for our sins and to give us the gift of forgiveness in the present, God also became man so that he could give us an eternal future of never-ending, ever-increasing joy. And Jesus is coming back to this earth to make all things new. And that is our great hope. And so, church, the cry of our hearts to our Lord at Christmas is not just thank you that you came, it is also thank you that you will come again. And as you reflect on the first coming of our Lord as individuals and as families this Christmas season, perhaps this will be a bit of a unique year for you and that you also reflect on the second coming of Jesus this Christmas. And this morning, we have a powerful passage from Revelation chapter 22 that is going to help us to do just that. So let's ask for the Lord's blessing and then jump into this passage together. Father, we invite your presence with us to speak to us, to encourage our hearts through your word. Please do that, Lord. We pray in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're already to the end of the book of Revelation. We've gone pretty rapidly through this book in this series, and now we're at the last 16 verses of the book of Revelation. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, and we'll be looking at Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. And I see verse 7 as the key verse among all of these verses. And I also see it as a key verse in the book of Revelation as a whole. And I say it's a key verse in the book of Revelation as a whole because essentially the same statement appears at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. And whenever the same idea book ends, a book of the Bible, it usually means that that's a clue to everything that's in between. So we have Revelation 1-3, which we've actually read every Sunday as we've gone through this book, Revelation 1-3. And then we have Revelation 22-7. So let's look at and read 22-7 again. Look at it there in your Bible. Behold, I am coming soon. Jesus says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Or we could say it like this. Jesus is coming soon. Therefore, keep 
the words of the prophecy of this book. Or we could say it like this. Keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? Because Jesus is coming back soon. Now, Revelation 1.3. Turn back there with me. Exact same message. Revelation 1.3. Ready? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. So today, all we're going to do is meditate on those two points. Keep the words of the prophecy of this book because Jesus is coming back soon. So keep the prophecy of this book. So turn back to chapter 22. And I want you to notice how many times in these 16 verses this book or the prophecy of this book is mentioned. Okay, verse 7, scan through with me. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 10, verse 18, verse 19, and referred to elsewhere in here. So something important is going on with the words of the prophecy of this book. So let's ask and answer three questions about this. Question number one, can we understand the prophecy of this book? Answer, yes. Okay, good. Let's go to the next question. Oh, let's talk about that a little bit. Can you and I understand the book of Revelation? Yes, we can. The answer to that question is yes. Okay? Now think about this with me for just a moment. Would John, who wrote this book, have said, blessed are those who read and hear and keep the words of this book if he expected that we couldn't understand what it's saying? It's like me saying to you, Put into practice what I'm about to say. Ready? Blah, 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 blah. Can you do that? No, you'd say, I'm like, I can't do it. That was unintelligible. Okay? That's not the way Revelation is. No, Revelation gives us a clear message that is both understandable and actionable. Now, are some things in the book of Revelation hard to understand? Yes, they are. And we should admit that. But, this, but does this mean that we can't get the primary message of the book and put it into practice? Absolutely not. God intends that we grasp the message of the book of Revelation and with our minds and actually live it out in our lives. That's God's intent. Question number two. What then is the prophecy of this book. Here it is. It is the most precious and glorious message in the world. It is the message about God's plan for his creation and for his people. And what Revelation essentially is saying is this. Christian, your God is very, very, very great. And he has a very, very, very bright future planned for you. Therefore, in this broken world, 
live for him. That's Revelation. And we'll get more into the actual content of the message of the book in a bit, but for now, I want to highlight the infinite preciousness, value of the message of the book of Revelation. So look at verses six through nine with me. And in these verses, we see that John is shown this amazing vision and he falls down to worship the angel who has given John a glimpse of the eternal life that awaits us. Now, John knows that that's a no-no. You don't worship the angel. God alone is worthy of worship. But it's almost like a gag reflex. It's like, sorry, I couldn't help it. The vision was so amazing. It was so marvelous that I was just ravished and I had to worship. And it points to the the infinite preciousness of the message of this book. Okay, example number two, spot number two that shows us the value of this message that we hear in Revelation, that we have here in Revelation. Look at verses 18 to 19. And there we find a stark, serious, sober warning not to add to or subtract from the words of the prophecy of this book. Don't do that. And the threat for doing so. Look at verses 18 and 19. The threat, if you add to the book of Revelation, if you subtract from it, you lose heaven. Very serious. And what this is telling us is that the message of this book is infinitely valuable. It's infinitely precious. So to mess with it is most serious. We have such a treasure here, don't we? We have such a treasure. Let's treasure it. And let's live our actual lives according to it. So question one, can we understand the book of Revelation? Yes, we can. Question two, what is the prophecy in the book of Revelation? Answer, it is the infinitely valuable message about our great God and our bright eternal future. Question number three, what exactly does it mean to keep the prophecy of this book? Now look back with me at Verse 7. And notice that verse 7 doesn't say, Blessed is the one who hears. It said that in 1 3, it doesn't say it here. It also does not say, Blessed is the one who understands. It doesn't say, Blessed is the one who considers. It doesn't say, Blessed is the one who meditates on the prophecy of this book. It doesn't even say, Blessed is the one who delights in the prophecy of this book. No, what does it say? It says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So what does that mean? How can you and I keep the message of the book of Revelation? And we get a strong clue if you scan down to verse 11, where it says, let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now, don't get thrown off by those first two phrases. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. We know from elsewhere in Revelation and even later on in this passage that God wants all people to repent and to turn to the Lord. And one reason this may be stated this way here is so that Christians, we Christians won't be deterred by the lack of repentance out there. Some people are not ever going to repent of their sins. And that shouldn't keep us from going straight ahead in our pursuit of Christ. But the call for Christians is clear. So for us this morning, I want us to focus on the second two commands in verse 11. Let the righteous still do right 
and the holy still be holy. So to keep the message of the book of Revelation is to live a life in pursuit of righteousness and holiness. I'm gonna put it even more simply. It is to live a life of doing right before God and living a life devoted to him. That's what it means to keep the book of Revelation. It is to live your life before the face of God, before the presence of God, in order to please him. It's to refuse the allure of this world and to live a life of purity. It is to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. But there's a particular emphasis in these two phrases that I, we, we shouldn't miss here. And the emphasis is on perseverance or endurance. Did you catch that emphasis in verse 11? Look back at it in verse 11. It says, let the righteous, and then there's this word, still do right. And let the holy still be holy. So John's writing, John's writing these words, and he includes this little word in Greek, eti. And it means still. And we think back to the message to, in chapters 2 and 3. And what is the, 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 the wording there? It, with every church, to the one who overcomes or conquers. See, the demand placed on the churches in us is a demand of perseverance, of endurance, all through our lives in following Christ. In other words, don't give up. Keep going, church. Keep going, Christian. Keep soldiering forward in your pursuit of Christ. Keep following your Lord and Savior. For, chapter 14, verse 12 says the exact same thing. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And Revelation 13, 10, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So it's clear how we keep the message of the book of Revelation. Here's how. Overcome. Keep pushing ahead. Don't quit. Persevere in pursuing holiness. Isn't it so hard sometimes, the Christian life? Just to keep on keeping on. Temptations abound, we feel worn, we feel tired, we feel attacked, we feel anxious, we feel downcast, we feel like giving up, we're prone to wander. We often feel like giving in to sin and to the world's allures and then Satan whispers in our ears, just go ahead, just try it out, it'll be easier, it'll be more satisfying. But then revelation comes in and wakes us up with this loud and clear call, let the holy still be holy. Christian, keep going day after day after day in your pursuit of Christ. I want to tell a story about a person who is a shining example of perseverance in following Jesus. And her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny was paralyzed in a diving accident when she was 17 years old. She's now 73 years old. Just imagine it. Quadriplegia. 
for that many years. Waking up morning after morning after morning in that condition. And Crossway recently published a book that she wrote called Songs of Suffering. I highly recommend it. And in it, she writes this. I have lived with quadriplegia for more than half a century and have wrestled with chronic pain for much of that time. I struggle with breathing problems and am in an ongoing battle against cancer. All this makes for a perfect storm of discouragement. Just imagine it. She goes on to say, Yet when my hip and back are frozen in pain, or it's simply another weary day of plain paralysis, I strengthen myself with Jesus' example in the upper room. My suffering Savior has taught me to always choose a song. A song that fortifies my faith against discouragement and breathes hope into my heart. Here's what I want you to hear. This next sentence. It's so profound. Johnny Erickson Tata says this, And so I daily take up my cross to the tune of a hymn. Daily, one day at a time, one step of faith at a time, one decision after another to take up our crosses and follow Jesus. And maybe today you feel like I can't take another step. And the Lord says, I am with you. And I will give you grace day after day to follow me. This, Johnny Erickson Tata gives us in real living flesh and blood form what it means to keep the book of Revelation. That's what it means. And one, the massive motivation to keep going is that the Lord is coming back soon. My wife Rachel and I celebrated our 15-year anniversary on Thursday. And we've known each other for over 20 years now. So we were talking about, we're both 38. We've known each other for longer than we haven't known each other now. And so 15 years ago, Rachel and I are in Maui, Hawaii. Last Thursday, 15 years ago, we're in St. Joseph, Michigan, about to get married Last Wednesday, 15 years ago, I'm at Wheaton College in grad school taking Greek and Hebrew exams. For some odd reason, I decided to take both Greek and Hebrew at the same time. But do you know what? I just soared through those exams and probably failed both of them. (laughs) Because, uh, why did I soar through them? Because I'm getting married the next day, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Now, why am I telling this story? The power of hope, right? The power of hope, and it's real. The hope, we've all experienced something like this. The hope in the future provides the strength to endure with joy in the present, doesn't it? So with us, and so with Christ who is coming back soon. Therefore, I can take the next step with Christ. 
So three times in these 16 verses, the exact same statement is made coming out of the lips of Jesus. Look at them with me. Verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20. Surely, I am coming soon. Now, maybe you say, wait a minute. These words were written 2,000 years ago. So what does soon mean? And I say, it means soon or near or it could happen in the not distant future. And none of us knows the day or hour. And you say, but it's been 2,000 years and it hasn't happened. And the Lord says, 2 Peter 3, with me one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Therefore, I say, he's patiently giving the world time. But the main thing is this, and this is what I want to urge you with. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. Thinking, it couldn't happen in my lifetime. Let us be living in readiness. Sam Storms writes this. Amid all the argumentation over this book, with its symbolism, the question of Israel, the rapture, and the tribulation, May we never lose sight of what is preeminent, the physical, personal, bodily return of Jesus Christ to consummate his kingdom. That is our blessed hope, Sam Storm says. And I agree, and the Bible agrees. What will that day be like? Well, there's a lot of mystery. We don't know a lot of the details, but some key things are described in verse 12. Look at verse 12. When Christ returns... He will return as the judge of all people. And no one is excluded from this. Jesus, who is living in heaven right now, has the right to judge in the future because he is God. And so verse 13 says, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And what this means is that the Lord, Jesus, will repay those who reject him have rejected him through their lives for what they deserve. He will do this in his just wrath and in his settled opposition to all that is evil. He will repay people for their sins and their rebellion against God. So let me put it in the most straightforward way I possibly can. When Jesus comes back to earth, he will send unrepentant, sinful people to hell. Now, that is not a popular thing to say. That is not an easy thing to say. But it's a biblical thing to say. It's a true thing to say. And it's a necessary thing to say so that people flee from that to Jesus for safety. 
That's the future that's coming for anyone who rejects Jesus. Those of us who trust Jesus will also stand before him as judge. Think back, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Listen carefully. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And Christ is going to come back and he's going to reward us for the good that we've done for him. You know, when I think about Judgment Day, I think about the thousands of ways that I've failed. I mean, maybe you're like me in that. The, the many ways I've blown it and I've been sinful. But when Jesus comes back, here's what I want to encourage you with, Christian. If you think about it, you've done a ton for the Lord. You have. Think about it. Think about the thousands of ways that you've served the Lord Jesus. It's true. And when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen is he's going to look you in the eye and you know what he's going to say to you? He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow. What a weight of, that is such a weight of glory that we're going to need new bodies to be able to handle hearing that from the Lord. And we're going to get new bodies. We recently heard about a woman, the wife of a pastor in our area, who was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And a few months later, there's nothing more that they can do, and she's gone now. Six months ago, this woman was going about her life normally, and now, six months later, she's gone. And I say this to encourage you today to think seriously about your life. You see, the stakes couldn't be any higher. There really are only two destinations. And this passage talks about it as inside and outside. If you look at verse 15, inside are those who are washed by the blood of the lamb. Outside are those who remain stained in their own sin. Inside are those who have faithfully followed the Lord. Outside are those who have rejected and rebelled against him. Inside are those who will experience bliss and happiness forever. Outside are those who will experience death and sorrow forever. So what do we do? How do we respond to this reality? That Jesus is coming and this will be reality for all people. You might, our, our knee-jerk response might be, well, I got to clean my life up then. I got to try harder tomorrow morning. I got to be a better person. But that's not where this passage goes. It goes to gospel is where it goes. So look at verses 14 and 17 where there are extremely comforting words. Words of free grace. Verses 14 and 17. Notice 14 does not say, in contrast to 15, blessed are those who are holy and righteous and have their lives all together and are really good people and do a lot of good deeds. doesn't say that. No, it says blessed are those who wash their robes. Now that's kind of a strange way to talk. What does this mean? What does this mean? kind of symbolism getting at. Well, if we go to Revelation 7, 14, there it describes Christians as those who have washed their robes and made them white, uh, here it is, in the blood of the Lamb. 
So the blood of the lamb and not our good deeds is what ultimately makes us clean and acceptable before God. Amen? It's, it's our faith in another. It's our faith in Jesus that makes us pure in God's sight and gives us the uh, right to live forever in a new world because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ has done for us in our place by his free grace, we will live forever with God. It's all about him. So we say to our kids, you die and stand before God, what are you going to say to him why he should let you into heaven? And it's the finger that points away to, the, to him and what he has done. This exact same reality is confirmed and perhaps even more clear in verse 17. Look at verse 17, the second half of verse 17. I think some of the most precious words in all of Scripture. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Wow. Anyone who is thirsty anyone who's tried to find satisfaction in this world and come up empty, anyone who desires, anyone who wants can receive eternal life from Jesus totally free of charge. Why would anyone reject this gift? I mean, here's what Jesus today is offering to you. You can live forever and I'm giving you that gift for free. That is amazing. It's a free gift. So if you don't know Jesus today, simply come to him, ask him to forgive all your sins, commit your life to following him, and you will have the gift of eternal life. Come to Jesus today for the first time or for the 10,000th time. He offers freely what you most need and desire. He's the answer. He's the answer. And he's saying to you, you don't need to do a bunch of good things first to prepare yourself to receive me. Just come directly to me for life and salvation and the true joy that you cannot find anywhere else. And for all of us who have come to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, the cry of our hearts is, come back, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come back to rescue us. Come back to make this broken world right. Come back to free me from the power and presence of sin in my life. Come back quickly, Lord. Come back to rid this world and rinse it clean of all of the suffering and tears and pain and injustice. Come, isn't that the cry of our hearts? Come quickly, Lord. What role will Jesus play in the lives of believers, Christians, us, when he comes back? He'll play the role of usher. What do, I, what do I mean? An usher's job is to guarantee that you'll be brought to a fitting and comfortable destination. That's what Jesus will do for you when he comes back. He will usher us into a new creation in new bodies, both of which will never die. He will usher us into the presence of God to experience 
unspeakable joy. He will usher us into his very own gladness and joy forever and ever. He will usher us into the most fitting, most happy, most pleasurable, most comfortable destination. The health and wealth gospel, what it gets wrong is timing. Okay? We will one day experience the best health and the best wealth that anyone could ever imagine. Jesus is coming back to make all things new. And this is our great hope, church. On that day, we will finally be able to say, truly, I'm home. And so our prayer as a church is, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.